0: The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166.
1: All right, welcome to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Welcome to Kixie AM 880 and to KKNW 1150 AM. And, uh, and tuning into this show once again. Have a great program again today, as always. And um, let's see, one of the Erics is gone today, Eric Crema, but he did have an interview. He just won't be here live today, but he's got an interview later in the show, which is going to be very interesting. It's about Cover That Load in your vehicle to make sure. So, um, Eric Ryder, how are you today?
0: I'm doing fine. I was going to say, luckily, at uh, most times, we've got a backup Eric here, just in case one of the Erics is detained. That's
1: right. So I won't get so confused today. I go, Eric, and then you both look at me. So (laughs) that won't happen today.
0: And neither will we. Right.
1: Well, I'm going to also kind of mix things up a little bit today. Normally, I play either the Timeless Classics or the One-Hit Wonder at the end of the show. So I said, let's mix it up. Let's start it with that today before we dive into it. So there's two elements to this. First of all, when I was looking for this song, the original song I was going to play, I found out that there was an Italian version of this song that came out the same year, and it was a huge hit there, probably even bigger than here. So uh, it was originally sung by a gentleman by the name of Ragazzo Della via clock. And, um, it's the boy from clock. That is actually the name of the song. Excuse me. And it was sung by an Andre, uh, Ono Chi Lentano. Okay. I think I got that out fairly good, but anyhow, he sang it. And, uh, then some people in the U S and some, from, uh, Britain, like for example, Dusty Springfield began to sing it. And so that became, you know, a pretty big hit around the world until, well, let's play that right now and hear this wonderful Italian song that was from 1966, just the beginning, and listen to how the people reacted.
2: è la storia di uno di noi I came from Was quiet and small We played in the meadows Where the grass grew so tall In summer the lilacs Would grow everywhere The laughter of children Would float in the air As I grew older I had to roam Far from my family, far from my home Into the city where lives can be spent Lost in the shadows of tar and cement And every night I'd sit alone and learn What loneliness meant Up in my Wake up, look at the sky, think of the meadows where I used to lie. Then i remember all of that's gone. You're in the city, better push on and get what you came for before it's too late. Get what you came for, the meadows can wait. So I i mm-hmm. Taken their place Where were the lilacs And all that they meant Nothing but acres Of tar and
1: So if you were waiting for that version, it was uh, sung by a very special woman, and her name is Verdell Smith. It was a one-hit wonder from 1966, and again, that was sung after the Italian version was sung earlier that year. Normally, you don't have songs that are originally sung by somebody, and then that year it becomes such a big hit. But uh, her version went to number one in Australia, and number... 38 in the United States. And I just wanted to say one thing. My brother was in New Zealand when he heard this song for the first time. I had heard it many times before, and he got a little homesick. But he was surprised that I knew that song so well. So anyhow, I thought uh, that would be very enjoyable. Again, Verdell Smith, she's still living in Brooklyn, New York. This week's one-hit wonder. You're listening to an encore show of Voices of Experience that originally aired on June Fourteenth, Two 2023. Voices of Experience will return next week with new shows on January 24th. I'm going to be talking to pollster Stu Elway on how the gubernatorial race is lining up for the election coming up in 2024. I'd like to just leave you with some interesting facts about Martin Luther King Jr. Obviously we just celebrated Martin Luther King Day and I found these interesting facts about Dr. Martin Luther King. Most of them I hadn't known before. And these facts about Martin Luther King's life appeared in the Monday, January 15th edition of the Washington Post. He skipped grades in school and went to college at age 15. He got a C in public speaking. Can you believe that? He was a prankster as a child. I like that. His family paid the medical bills for the birth of actress Julia Roberts. I don't know how that happened, but, Julia Roberts' parents didn't have enough money to pay for their daughter's birth. There was another assassination attempt on Martin Luther King exactly a decade before he was killed in 1968. He was autographing books at Blum Stein's department store in Harlem. A woman came up and stabbed him in the neck with a letter opener, and he was very close to death. His mother, Alberta William King was also assassinated in 1974 while playing the organ at a service at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. The assassin claimed he was aiming for Martin Luther King, Sr. I didn't even want to give this guy's name out. Why would you want to even utter such a name? And finally, in addition to winning the Nobel Peace Prize, he won a Grammy Music Award in 1971 for the best spoken word recording for a speech entitled why I opposed the war in Vietnam. So we'll be back with Voices of Experience live radio shows beginning next week, January 24th, right here on Kixie and KKNW at 3 p.m. and also on my podcast. So we have a Bob Donegan who's going to join us in just a few moments. Actually, I had this interview with him yesterday, and uh, he took me and a bunch of other Rotarians on a tour of the Seattle waterfront. And I'm telling you, very impressed of what's going on there. Sometimes we talk about what's wrong about Seattle now, and some things are. But this is what's right about Seattle now. Really, the community coming together, and this is going to be a spectacular spectacular showcase for our city in a very short period of time and he is the current president of Ivers. Let's pick up with the interview I had with him yesterday about the Seattle waterfront and what's going on.
3: So today the walkway in front of the piers is about 11 feet wide and this summer the new promenade of concrete has expanded to between 18 and 30 feet wide But then in the middle of what used to be the old Alaska way, roadway, is the construction zone where they're building three things, the garden, the walkway, and the bicycle path. Those will all be done by next summer. So when you come down in the summer of 2024, the kids will be able to ride their bikes on the bike path. Mom and dad and the gardeners can look in the gardens or sit at the thousands of benches that will be down here among the bees and butterflies and birds that are down here. And it's only in the summer of 25 that the whole thing will be done, including the overlook walk that connects the Pike Place Market to the roof of the new aquarium and then down to the waterfront.
1: It seems to me the highest concentration of the activities it's between Pier 58 and 62, but certainly there's so much more going on. But is that accurate there, like the um, Ocean Pavilion, the Art Displays Aquarium, pedestrian bridges and that you were just talking about?
3: So the committee and James Corner, the architect who designed the High Line and is redoing Navy Pier in Chicago and redoing the London Olympic grounds into a park and residential area, created different spots all along the waterfront from the stadiums up into Belltown the Washington Street boat landing, there's a new public beach that people will be able to go down to. In the thousand or so public meetings that we had, the number one request that people had was they wanted to touch the water. So you can touch the water there, or at Pier 62, you can walk down to the float and touch the water there or up at Myrtle Edwards at the north end of the waterfront, you can touch the water there. But I think your assessment that the most activity will be on the Overlook Walk, Pier 62 where the concerts and the community events are, the new Ocean Pavilion. Immediately south of the Ocean Pavilion is the largest street end at the base of the Pike Steps. That's Aquarium Plaza, so there'll be events there. Then Pier 58 includes the new pier, It's a triangular pier that extends from the east end of the aquarium at Pier 59 out toward the Great Wheel at Pier 57. And there's a seating area, a picnic area, a concert area, and most importantly, the new play area for kids who are on the waterfront. And the firm that we hired to design the play area designs kids' jungle gyms that match the environment in which they're built. So this climbing structure and play area has an octopus and jellyfish and all kinds of sea creatures that the kids are playing in when below them are octopuses and jellyfishes and all kinds of sea creatures. But I think your assessment that the most activity will be between the Great Wheel, Pier 57, the Pike Place Market, and Pier 62 is reasonable.
1: And also there's going to be tree lined pathways from the waterfront to the stadiums, T-Mobile and uh, Lumen Field?
3: Correct. You'll remember that originally Alaskan Way was called Railroad Way because there were nine different railroad tracks that ran along the waterfront. And there's one small section of Railroad Way that still exists, and that's between the south end of Alaskan Way and Occidental at Lumen Field, and that little two-block strip is called Railroad Way. There'll be a new promenade, lots of plantings, lots of interesting art there to make it easy for people to get off the ferries and into stadiums for concerts and events and games or from Pioneer Square over to the waterfront on Railroad Way. And then there's other connections that are a part of this project, which is from Alaska Way, or the new street named Zidzalelich into Pioneer Square and from Pike and Pine into the convention and hotel district, all of those streets are being redone and re landscaped to make it easier for people to walk, places to park, pedestrians to make it easy, and bikes to get to and from the new waterfront. That's all a part of this 20.6 acre project.
1: From the tour that you said something that I thought was very interesting, but the target audience here is women for two reasons. You want to build a very safe zone for people and the cleanliness of the whole project.
3: So Paul, when we looked at the best parks we could find around the world, one of the things we discovered was if you ever find yourself in a place where there are no women, you should immediately leave because women's sense of safety tends to be much more acute than men's sense of safety. And one of the ways that women use to determine if a place is safe is, are the restrooms clean? So immediately east of new Pier 58, we have 19 restrooms being built. They have individual stalls. When they're open, there will be a concierge in the building keeping it clean. And during the summer... On the counters we'll have fresh flowers. People told us that restrooms matter. There are the private company restrooms on the waterfront, but there were no public restrooms, and now there will be restrooms on the waterfront.
1: would this project on the scale it is going now, would this have happened if the viaduct was still standing?
3: It could not happen with the viaduct in place. Number one, the viaduct was unsafe. And according to the seismic engineers, both at the University of Washington and the outside experts that the committee hired, the viaduct was sensitive to an earthquake. The engineer said if the Nisqually quake, February 28, 2001, had lasted a few seconds longer, it would have brought the viaduct down. Few people know this, but all the utilities that serve downtown Seattle were buried in underneath or hung from the viaduct. So the many kilovolt transmission lines that bring power from BC Hydro and the Bonneville Power Authority were actually hung from the viaduct. So if we had an earthquake and the viaduct fell, it would have disrupted the power grid on the West Coast. So that's number one. And number two, according to my little decibel meter on my phone, the background noise from the viaduct was about 85 decibels. So when you walked along the sidewalks on Alaskan Way, we could not be having this conversation because we couldn't hear each other. When the viaduct was taken down, the most common comment I heard when I was walking the waterfront is people said, hey, I can hear the seals and sea lions. Did you hear that? I can hear seagulls. So it's actually pleasant to be down here. And then by taking the viaduct down, we created the 20.6 acres of new space available for parks. So if the viaduct was still there or if it had been rebuilt, we could not have the park that we have now.
1: What can we do as citizens of this area to help this process along?
3: Well, come down and see it. Come down and enjoy it. It's built for the residents of the area are visitors from around the state and are visitors from around the country and the world. So the first thing is come down and see what's happening here. The second thing is there will be an opportunity for public contributions both to the park and to the aquarium's Ocean Pavilion as they get to the end of their fundraising. Friends of Waterfront Seattle committed to raising $200 million dollars. And as of last week, Friends of Waterfront Seattle is at about $108 million raised. The Ocean Pavilion for the aquarium committed to raising $160 million. And as of last week, the aquarium is at $124 million raised. So there will be a public portion of the campaign that people can watch for in the future. So two things. If you go to the Friends of Waterfront Seattle website, all of those images and much longer explanations are included on the Friends website. Go to the website, seattlewaterfront.org. That's the website of the Historic Waterfront Association, which is the 44 businesses down here. And it has video cameras, live webcams showing what's going on on the waterfront with a calendar and Uh, future events on there so people can plan what they want to do. And then there are many links out to other sources of information from each of those websites. So yeah, they, they're both online. We're a technology city, as you know, and everything is online.
1: Of course. Well, I'll leave you with this, or I'm going to leave the audience with this. And uh, I was involved in trying to help with projects. As a matter of fact, I was involved in the 1980s building the downtown tunnel under downtown Seattle I have some idea of what it takes to get a project done, but I think it was a lot easier then than it is now. And there was a quote in the uh, Puget Sound Business Journal that you were quoted as saying, and it really struck me, the process of dealing with the city and the state is cumbersome. It's focused on process and participation. It's not focused on outcomes. I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but I think a lot of other people thank you for persevering through all of this. All right, that was Bob Donovan, or Donegan, and we had that interview just uh, yesterday, and certainly want to thank him for spending the time. One story I read in preparing for the interview is that Ivor Hagelin, he's the guy who started Ivers in this community back, gosh, in the, probably the 40s, I believe. But in 1953, I think that's when the viaduct opened, and Ivor Haglin had a band out there just saying how exciting this was. And then about three weeks later, I read, he came out and said, this is going to be a disaster for the waterfront. He said it was loud, noisy, and it was just a deterrent. So I'm one of those people. I live in West Seattle. I was so happy to see the viaduct go. And I was sharing with somebody the other day. I'd hear people say, you know, I love the viaduct because I can drive down and look at the Olympic Mountains, and it's such a beautiful view. We've got to keep the viaduct. And my response is that, yes, I've driven enough to see the Olympic Mountains, but I suggested to them, and anybody who would listen at the time, you should be keeping your eye on the road. You're not sitting there driving on a viaduct to watch the view. That is just another point of view. But, yes, and the other thing we would not have, as he pointed out, anything like we're doing now at the waterfront had it not been for taking that viaduct down. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on
4: U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you, and that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience.
1: My name is Paul Casey. Voices of
4: Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com.
1: Welcome back to Voices of Experience. Now we move into the Voices of History segment. Let's start with June 14th, 1951. Univac. The first commercially produced electronic digital computer in the United States is introduced by UNIVAC, and that stands for Universal Automatic Computer. These giant computers, which used thousands of vacuum tubes, were the forerunners of today's digital computers.
0: And now we've got computers in our vacuum, so we've come full circle.
1: Very good observation, Eric. I didn't think about that, (laughs) but you are correct. It's amazing. It is absolutely stunning. On uh, June 14th, 1922, President Warren G. Harding, while addressing a crowd at a dedication of a memorial site for the composer of the Star-Spangled Banner, becomes the first president of the United States to have his voice transmitted over radio. That's 101 Mm. years ago today. Wow. That's something.
0: Well, you know, Hubbard Radio just celebrated 100 years uh, in business and in broadcasting. So I believe it. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's stunning. I did not know that. Yeah. And um, I, I
0: think it was only like 10 years before that when radio was first invented. So it happened pretty quickly. Sure did.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah and for Hubbard Radio, that's where Kixie is right now. We're talking about right that's now. Right. And KKNW. What are the other stations? Just to let people know. There's
0: Moving 92.5, Warm 106.9, and KPNW 98.9.
1: Great. Excellent. Wow, that's great uh, trivia. I had no idea it was here that long. Uh, let's see. On June 14, 1940, Parisians awake to the sound of German-accented voices announcing over loudspeakers that a curfew is being imposed that night at 8 p.m. That evening, German troops enter Paris. By the time the German tanks, tanks rolled into Paris, two million Parisians had already fled. Wow. On June 13, 1971, the New York Times begins publishing portions of the Pentagon Papers. Daniel Ellsberg, a former Defense Department analyst who had become an anti-Vietnam War activist, well, he, Ellsberg, had stolen some of the documents. After unsuccessfully offering the documents to prominent opponents of the war in the U.S. Senate, Ellsberg gave them to the New York Times and they published them. On June 13, 1967, President Lyndon Johnson appoints U.S. Court of Appeals Judge Thurgood Marshall to the Supreme Court. He was confirmed 69 to 11, and he was the first African-American in history to serve on the Supreme Court. This one, this kind of brought some memories back. On June 12, 1994, the tragedy, Nicole Brown Simpson and her friend Ron Goldman were stabbed to death outside Nicole's home in Brentwood, California. Mm. O.J. Simpson became the chief suspect. Shocking. Although he had agreed to turn himself in, Simpson escaped with a friend, Al Cowlings, in a white Ford Bronco. Do you remember this? I do, yeah, yeah. And that was on June 17th. That would be 29 years ago today. They were heading down the streets of L.A. or the freeways.
0: Like one of the slowest car chases in history.
1: Yes, Hey. That was that was very part of the story. I mean, right, they just and let it was all go. covered
0: live on TV. I remember that. You know.
1: Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I came into it. It had already been going, and no one told me about it. I remember I came in. It was a nice day. I was living downtown, and I see this white Bronco going. I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sitting there, and I go, oh, my gosh, what what is going on here? But um, he was carrying a passport, a disguised, and $1,700 in cash. Um now, Simpson's car was spotted that afternoon, but he refused to surrender, threatening to kill himself. He led a low speed chase through the freeways of LA as the entire nation watched, and as we watched, wow. eventually, Simpson gave himself up at his home in Brentwood. I do remember that. Wow, that's 29 years ago.
0: Yeah, and still found not guilty in the court, uh, despite <laughs> his escape attempt. Yes. Uh, which, yeah,
1: I mean, interesting. Seriously. Yeah. We could talk about that one show, oh, yeah. so that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so let's move to um, some local highlights. On June 13, 1908, a group of Swedish-Americans led by Dr. Niels Johansson incorporated Seattle's Swedish Hospital. Been around since 1908. On June 8, 1909, Washington became the first state in the nation to outlaw tipping. Did not know that. It was widely supported at the time by progressives, and the labor movement and a lot of other groups uh, were uh, supportive of it, but the prohibition was unenforceable and ignored, so it was repealed in 1913. And now Mm. we're kind of going back to that, aren't we, in Seattle restaurants and others? You don't tip, but, I mean, it's added into your food.
0: Yeah, uh, a few restaurants have uh, attempted something like that, but uh, for the most part, I think Tipping is still encouraged. I agree. Uh, pretty much everywhere. That, that's very yeah. true.
1: I, I think it was kind of a wave we thought would happen. but That was kind of before the pandemic. And I think maybe, I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But I thought, like, at some point Seattle was going to be, a, you know, no tips, but it would be, right. you know, just in your food bill and
0: yeah, I think that makes more sense to me, but uh, you know, it's really hard to. It, it, I mean, we still haven't adopted the metric system, so it's really hard once you've got, you know, cultural momentum on your side to change it. Right.
1: And then yeah. the think they tried it in 1909. Right. See, there yeah. you go. History repeats itself, like and, we were talking about during the break.
0: And I, I just found out recently that TIP stands for To Ensure Promptness.
1: I never knew that.
0: <laughs> I never knew it either. God, so I like listening to my own show. Fact. I learn a lot of
1: stuff. <laughs> oh, that's pretty really interesting. Yeah, and then, what is
0: it again? Tip what? To ensure promptness.
1: To ensure promptness.
0: Yeah, and then tipping comes from that abbreviation of tip.
1: Never thought about that. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's like Johnny Carson. Um, on June thirteenth, 1940, Native Americans from throughout the Northwest gathered at Kettle Falls in Stevens County for a ceremony of tears to mourn the loss of their ancestral fishing grounds to waters rising behind Grand Coulee Dam. A huge reservoir, reservoir, Lake Roosevelt, took shape behind it, submerging towns and landmarks as it grew. On June 13, 1903, Snoqualmie Falls is incorporated. For generations, nearby Snoqualmie Falls has been a sacred site as the birthplace of the Snoqualmie tribe. Soon after the white settlers arrived in the northwest in the 1850s, the falls became a tourist destination and later a source of hydroelectric power. In more recent years, the town provided the backdrop for the popular Twin Peaks television series. Were you a fan of Twin Peaks?
0: I uh, you know, I tried to <laughs> tried to watch it and it's a a beautiful looking show, but I never could really connect with the story to be honest.
1: So this is all courtesy of History Link. And uh, also the History Channel. So, if you like these tidbits of history, you'll want to go to History Link. That's the more local one, historylink.org, or this day in history, which is property of the history, this uh, history channel. So, anyhow, there you have it for today. Welcome back to Voices of Experience. Jim Fuda has joined us. He is the executive director of Crime Stoppers of Puget Sound, and uh, he had a 33 year career at King County Sheriff's Office and has a number of en- things that he's done in his life. He's been an enforcement professional. His assignments included special operations, hostage negotiations, a major event planner, a Marine unit commander. I mean, you name it, he's done it. And again, he is the executive director of Crime Stoppers of Puget Sound. And I know Jim very well. You probably have seen him on TV about a number of things that occur around the Puget Sound area when they call on him about. And I said it before and I'll say it again. He's kind of the buffer in between, I think, the citizens and also the police. And he's kind of a negotiator in that moment when the city gets into some serious uh, conflicts. I don't know if that's a fair assumption or not, but anyhow, I'll go with that. I asked Jim, summer's coming up now, and I wanted to talk to him about what you can do to protect your home. You know, vacations, I mean, summer's, what, four or five days away, and you're going to leave town for a week or two, or you're in town. That's why I brought Jim on the air. Thank you, Jim, for coming.
5: Oh, I appreciate being here.
1: So let's start with that. You know, the first type of things, maybe we talk about uh, security cameras first, because um, I read that maybe 45 to 50% of the people have those, but we talked about that a little bit last night, and you're a big proponent for security cameras. Let's start there.
5: I am. Um, And, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive, intricate uh, systems. It's just something that alerts you, uh, when you're away from your home, that someone's around your house, uh, uh, you can go to Costco and get a system called Arlo for two or three hundred bucks. That comes with four or five cameras that hits your entry point, so you could put it your front door, back door, uh, alley, wherever it might be, your side yards. Uh, and it uh, it's an app you download to your phone, and uh, someone uh, crosses that beam, you it uh, it alerts you, and uh, you have a ten second video of that uh, uh, person that's uh, in your yard
1: yeah that sounds really good could you uh, repeat that one more time and again they're not paying for this we i you convinced me that this is probably one of the most cost effective because it's got a number of cameras as you said and it it sounds like it's easy to install
5: it is and there's a uh, uh what well, if I could do it anybody can uh uh there's a uh, uh you know there's like i said there's expensive systems uh, out there hardwire ones that go into your uh, that that uh uh, you can have, have put up in your house and where you can talk back to the, to the person, where are you in the blue coat? What are you doing on my porch? Kind of thing. But uh, I've got Arlo, uh, uh, that you can buy at Costco that's, uh, um, that I put up around around my house and, and they work uh, really well.
1: Excellent. Okay. So what else can people do to protect their homes and look like it's lived in and just try to keep their home, their family, their dogs, their cats as safe as possible?
5: Well, here's something that my neighbors do that we're close at, the ones that face our alley, is that, is that if somebody is, one of the neighbors is going to be gone for an extended period of time, is that, is that, uh, uh, we tell each other, hey, park your extra car in, uh, in my driveway. So uh, uh, it looks like it's occupied. Things like that. Make sure your newspapers are uh, um, are uh, picked up or they're canceled while you're gone. Same thing with your mail. Make sure your mail isn't stacking up. Uh, and, and if you're going to be gone more than a couple, three weeks and your phone uh, or your um, yard is, uh, uh, lawn grows uh, uh, a lot, have somebody mow your lawn. Uh, little things like that. Um, have a trusted neighbor with a key in case something happens that that they can go in and check on things. Uh, these are all kinds of just just common sense things that uh, people could do to make their home less attractive and lived and look lived in while you're not there.
1: Certainly, you know another thing I was just reading before you came on is that advice is to take a picture of every th- room in your home.
5: Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Let's say your house does get burglarized; uh, it's something you can. Um, You can itemize a list of of, uh, of what's missing.
1: You know, one thing I remember is I left town, oh gosh, maybe about six, seven years ago. We have garbage pickup on Monday, so I left the garbage cans out on a Saturday night, and that was a mistake. Now, fortunately, we have really good neighbors who are up on everything, and they're kind of our sheriff of the neighborhood, and they saw some activity in our backyard, and they were able to shoo the people away. However, they knew that we weren't home because the garbage was out on a Saturday night and garbage pickup was Monday.
5: Sure. A, a good sign that uh um that, that you're not home. People are aware of that. Uh uh you know like I said I have neighbors that that uh um that have to move their cans out like like you do and uh uh you know that should be done on 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 a, a Sunday night for the Monday morning pickup.
1: Exactly. Also Two locks on the main doors. Now, we have that, but I didn't realize how important that is. But you have two locks rather than one on the main doors in your home.
5: You mean double key entry? Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, I think that's, that's extremely important for your deadbolt. If uh, you have someone that breaks a small window uh, to, to climb in uh, uh, to get into your house, uh, they're not carrying out your furniture out that window if they uh, because if they can't get, they need a key to, to open the door from the inside to get back out again, they're not taking any big things uh, out out your house.
1: You know, one more thing that I was uh, looking up and there was something I never thought of, but let's say you're selling your home, okay? And I see this all the time. They have the floor plan that is published on the website or whatever. And this, I read, is this is some burglar saying, that is a really nice map for us to Find out how do we enter your home, how we exit it, and where the rooms are and things like that. So that's something of a cautionary tale.
5: Yes, I actually do a, a class for real estate agents, and I, uh, I even mention, mention that.
1: Oh, yeah. you do? Okay, I'd never yeah. heard that before uh, myself. So uh, anything else, Jim? Do you have any uh, other tips for people in protecting their homes this summer, any time of year?
5: One thing that I think is is important too, whether it be on your cell phone or or if people still have a home phone, is uh, uh, I wouldn't leave any kind of message. I'm away out of town for the next two weeks. Um, uh, I'll get back to you when I'm when I'm home. Only trusted friends and and neighbors should uh, uh, should know that that you're out of town and your your house is empty.
1: And that's a really good tip too. There are the neighbors I was talking about. The sheriff of our neighborhood, he's great. I always tell him when I'm leaving, yeah. so he knows it. All right. Well, Jim, thank you very much, uh, Crime Stoppers, the Puget Sound executive director. Uh, what is your website?
5: Uh, I'm at uh, jimfuda.com, Jim and then our program is crimestoppers.com.
1: Yep, and you do some great work. Thank you very much, Jim. Appreciate your time.
5: Thanks. Take care.
1: Rajira Gupta, she's a professor at New York University and founder of the Anti-Sex Trafficking Organization, and uh, she won the Clinton Global Citizen Award in 2009. She has helped more than 20,000 girls and women in India exit prostitution systems. She wrote a book, I Kick, I Fly. I was able to talk to her about that and what she's been doing. So I'm going to start with the book, The Selling of Innocence. What is the book about? And then at the end of the book, when people complete it, what do you hope their takeaway is?
6: The book is called I Kick and I Fly. And it's based on uh, the work that I have done with my NGO Apnea which came out of the documentary I made called The Selling of Innocence on Trafficking of Children from Nepal to India. I wanted to use the horror that I had seen and turn it into something positive for human beings. I won an Emmy for Outstanding Investigative Journalism for the documentary. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to use it to help the women who told their stories in my documentary. And that's how I started an NGO in the red light areas of India. To educate the children of women in prostitution so that they would not have the same destiny as their mothers. It's about a 14 year old girl called Hira who's from a nomadic tribe and she's expelled from school for beating up the class bully who teases her because she's from the red light area. And she's sitting and crying when a woman's rights advocate enrolls her in a kung fu program. And Hira, through the practice of Kung Fu, discovers the power of her body and learns to fight for it. She gets back into school and finally she wins a gold medal. When she wins a gold medal, everything begins to change because the bully can't bully her anymore. Her father begins to respect her thinking, oh, she can win a gold medal. Her mother gains more courage from her daughter's victory and fights harder to keep her in school. And the courage and the change in this family sparks a change in the whole community and they all stand up to the crime lord together. The book begins in India and ends in New York where Hira comes on a Kung Fu Championship. It's about bullying, body shaming food insecurity, homelessness, lack of love, and also it's about how to overcome all this because Hira in every chapter overcomes this. Human trafficking is a universal problem. There are 25 million people trapped in situations of human trafficking in our world right now.
1: Well, you've just covered every question I was going to ask. You did a great job of doing that. (laughs) You made my job really easy today. Are there hopeful signs that we're getting ahead of this sex trade that's happening throughout the world, or is it getting worse? What is your opinion on that?
6: You know, the bad news, I will start with that first. Because the bad news is that the numbers are going up and uh, the ages are going down. So according to the United Nations, it's the second largest organized crime in the world with billions of dollars and consuming millions of people. The average age... Of a girl trafficked in India is between 9 and 13, in the United States between 13 and 15. That's the bad news. But the good news is, and of course, traffickers are getting more organized, they're using technology, they're creating fake IDs and chatbots to recruit kids online. Um, So they're using any which way, and it's harder to spot now because, you know, there's not a brothel street there are hotel rooms, there are massage parlors, you can't really see where a girl or a boy is being consumed and exploited. But the good news is that now we have named the problem and because we accepted that it exists in our midst, not only did we name the problem, we've created laws to punish those who are buying and selling girls, we've put into place services for victims so that you know they at least have an exit pathway and... We have also created ways to prevent youth from being trafficked. And that part, I think, needs much more work, which is what I Kick and I Fly is about. Because this book actually shows how education can become a way to prevent young people from being trafficked. And we have also got many, many NGOs now across the world. uh, Because the laws have been created and the services are now budgeted for by the government, So NGOs have sprung up and uh, survivors have begun to come forward and overcome the shame and the fear and the guilt to ask for services, to speak about these things.
1: What are the uh, worst offenders in, in the world? What countries? Not that it really matters if it's happening everywhere, but are there ones that really stand out in terms of sex trafficking?
6: My own country, India, is a big hotspot for sex trafficking. And most of it is domestic. It's not from outside the country and not out of the country. Um, You know, there are brothels everywhere and little girls are being consumed by traffickers because they are poor, they are female, they are from oppressed and dominated castes and communities, um, and they are teenagers. So traffickers know they can go and prey upon them. And of course, you know, as you said, that every country is touched upon by this.
1: Are there movies out there either currently or maybe in the last 20 years that you think really did a good job of getting through to people sex trafficking and how horrible it is and making a statement that people, when they leave this movie, go, wow, I I really learned a lot from this?
6: Yes, uh, there's a fantastic movie called Love Sonia, which was shortlisted for the BAFTA two years ago. Uh, That's a brilliant movie on trafficking between India and the United States. Um, Then there is I Am Jane Doe, which is a really good book about, I mean, a movie and documentary series about human trafficking, um, especially online. Then, uh, you know, there is Sold, uh, which is made, uh, which is based on the book by Patricia McCormick. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff, trafficked. There are more and more coming up all the time, uh, which are worth watching and learning from.
1: So is there anything um, you think, like two or three things that we are not doing that we could do that could really put a dent on reducing sex trafficking?
6: I think we are maintaining a culture of silence around sex trafficking. We don't talk to young people about either sexual abuse or sex trafficking. And this is what traffickers take advantage of because kids don't know what trafficking means, what the outcome of it can be, and how to equip themselves or spot the warning signs. And I think it's really, really important that schools, parents, teachers, and young people come together to discuss these issues and challenge them.
1: Anything else before we go?
6: I wrote this book, I Kick and I Fly, because I wanted to pass on the baton to the next generation to join the movement against sex trafficking. We don't have slavery, we don't have monarchy anymore in our world, but this truly bad evil exists and we can change it. So I want them to create knowledge and awareness and I want them to buy I Kick and I Fly, read the book and share the book so that more and more people discuss this because I'm hoping that I can trigger a conversation with I Kick and I Fly, which will be useful and save lives. And so therefore, I am saying, I'm passing the baton to all of you who are listening right now. As an activist, join the movement to create a world in which no girl or woman is bought or sold. And I Kick and I Fly can help you do that.
1: Now, if you'd like to uh, get a copy of that book, all you need to do is Google I Kick and I Fly It has a 4.8 rating out of 5, so that's pretty high. And uh, you can find out a lot more about her and the efforts that are going on. And uh, one more time, you can Google I Kick and I Fly, and you'll find the book and everything about what she was talking about today. So thank you so much for spending time on Voices of Experience today. So I want to let their listeners know that, gosh, about three weeks ago, gave away a couple of Tacoma Rainier's tickets. And we got a really good response, so I'm going to give two tickets away for Friday night's game. Let me give the phone number because um, the first caller is going to get the two tickets. Not going to ask any questions or anything like that. Like who was the first baseball player to steal 25 bases? That would take too long, right? I'm just going to say if um, you give a call, the first one, the number is four two five six five three. 1166 leave your name and phone number okay both so I can call you back and give you some details about it and where to pick the tickets up That's 425-653-1166 again the first caller gets two tickets for the Rainier's game on Friday night and this is what you do get get sit in the dugout club and that means you get box seats right behind home plate You get a buffet dinner, complimentary. You get complimentary beverages that includes wine, pop, water, snacks, free parking. The people who did win the tickets in the last round really enjoyed their experience. Uh, Again, that number is 425-653-1166. The game is Friday night at Cheney Stadium. That would be June 16th at 7.05 p.m. I know it's radio. I'm going to give the phone number out one more time for these two free tickets. The first caller gets them 425-653-1166. So we're coming towards the end of this show and um, just uh, found something on the website that was sent to me this week. But it came from KIT Radio in Yakima. I thought it was kind of fun because... From their perspective, they were saying these are the 10 essential lessons you'll learn living in Washington State. So I imagine if you're coming out here, it's a big place. So here, here's what they had to say. Number one, wildfires are the fifth weather season. Can't disagree with that. Number I two, think that
0: applies to New York now as well.
1: Well, very good point. <laughs> yes. um, there are people, in-laws and things we have live on the East Coast, oh, you poor people out there, and it's kind of a West problem, whatever. Well, now it's everybody's yeah, problem. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, they really got the dose of it uh, like we have. But, yeah, it, it's very true. I mean, uh, you can say that's sarcastic being it's a fifth weather season, but it kind of is, and, and, and we have to take uh, heed of that. Again, coffee is our life. It's only super rainy on the west side of the state. Okay. We love beer, number four. We are in an outdoor lifestyle kind of people. Agree with that. Number six, the state is politically split between the west side of the state and the rest of the side of the state. So, okay, I would go along with that. I assume they mean the east side of the state. But uh, that's true, like many other places. Number seven, we are serious about our wine. No doubt. Um, Number eight, a fact, weed is legal here. Number nine, we recognize the honor, and we also recognize our indigenous tribes. Very true. I think we did it a couple times today on um, our uh, Voices of History, and we love going to outdoor festivals. Now, those I read, I think you can find that pretty much anywhere. Maybe the coffee uh, is something unique. Lifestyle, certainly. And um, we're politically split, like most places. We love wine. Now pot, I guess, is what? I wonder where the, how many states legalize pot now and how many don't.
0: Quite a few have. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but uh,
1: yeah. We'll come back with that breaking news next week. So it's not that <laughs> breaking, but right. we'll, we'll come up with that if we can. So Eric, uh, we're about out of time. We're closing up, huh? That's right. Okay, how much do we have? Like we got about forty-five seconds. Forty-five seconds and counting. All right. So again, thank you for listening to Voices of Experience today. My name is Paul Casey. Again, the Comerine Air Tickets, 425-653-1166. Voices of Experience airs on Kixie Wednesdays at three PM. You probably know that. And simulcast with Hubbard Sister Station, KKNW AM eleven fifty. Quote of the week. I think the quest for goodness turns out to be a fight against human nature. And no matter how many times you try, know how many times you fail. Keep trying. Aaron Sorkin. Have a great rest of the week.